right. Good morning. Woo! If you're wondering what was happening in that video, that is uh, our Every Nation Conference, which is taking place this coming weekend. Uh, for those of you who are in college, we have a, um, goodness gracious, we had about 30 students at our house literally last night. Uh, we've got a thriving campus ministry here uh, at a high point, and many of them are going to a conference this coming weekend. Uh, it's life-changing. It's incredible. Uh, if you are interested in sponsoring somebody to go on said retreat, uh, would you see me afterwards? I know we didn't mention that in the offering, but I just felt like I'd throw it out there. I know some of you, you know, you're, you're past your college days, but you can still make a difference in somebody's life that is in college. And so if you want to pay for somebody to go, uh, it's a great opportunity. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you wandered in during the offering, welcome to High Point. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here. It's always a joy to celebrate with you and to worship together. Uh, it's also a fun month. It's Black History Month. Uh, we celebrate that through the month of February. And it's a joy to pastor a church uh, that's working towards greater racial reconciliation. And if you missed last week's podcast, I'd encourage you to take a listen as I shared some of my, my journey in uh, racial reconciliation. But it's a, it's a, it's a great month uh, to celebrate our African-American brothers and sisters and heroes of the faith, whether it's uh, Harriet Tubman or somebody like a T.D. Jakes. Or some of you might know an Adrian Crawford who does a tremendous amount of work to bring uh, people of different color together to worship under the same house. And so, uh, guys, it's a great Sunday. Uh, I am not going to be speaking about racial reconciliation today. I'm going in a different direction. Next week, we start a series on the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is kind of the, the crazy uncle in the room, right? Where you don't know how to introduce him to your family. And that's kind of like the Holy Spirit. It's like your weird uncle, you know... Joe, and we oftentimes don't know how to talk about the Holy Spirit. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is or what the Holy Spirit does, and we're going to break some things down over the coming weeks on spiritual gifts, what it looks like to walk in power, what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit and have your character change and to continue walking in relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. But we're not doing that today. Today... Uh, it's a little bit of a one-off. It's a message that's been brewing in my heart. And uh, it finally all came together. It's called Destined But Dead. And uh, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts this morning. And we're going to get into the text, and we're going to let God uh, minister to us this morning. But before we do, I, I had the pleasure of a little research, a little R&D this, this past week. If you know me, you know my major in college way back when was economics. I, I love some numbers. I love statistics. And uh, I got some of the latest polling numbers on the state of Georgia and religion. You're going to love this. Now, before we do, everybody, everybody look at me and give me one of these right here. Come on, everybody. You have to do this. Just making sure you're alive. Thank you. The Holy Spirit fingers, you know, this is right. So here's what happens. Sometimes on a, on a, this is the, we got tricked last week. The weather was warm. We got tricked. We got hoodwinked. Then we came out and was like, "What? What's going on? It's raining. It's cold again, and it's windy. This is demonic, right? The devil's in this. Amen. Yeah, I know you're ready. I know you are. So I want to make sure you are live. You can respond this morning. 
Uh, I love it when I get a little faith in the room and I hear from you and you're responding. It's helpful in the message and even just even uh, creating a culture that's contagious. So I want to hear from you today as we're, as we're getting into the text this morning. Amen. I like that. So, fun facts for you on the state of Georgia. You guys ready? 74% of Georgians believe in God with absolute certainty. 74% of people, human beings, just humans in Georgia, believe that God exists and that he exists with absolute certainty. They're not doubting it at all. 74%, if you don't know, that is incredibly high for a state in the United States. Moving on. 64% of people describe religion as being very important to their lives. 64% of people that live in Georgia describe religion as being important to their lives. Not kind of important, very important. So you have roughly 75% believing that God exists with absolute certainty, but as is often the case, some of those people aren't a big fan of organized religion. And so 64%, less than the 75, are excited about religion and they think that it's important to their lives. This is where things get a little bit more interesting. Of all adults living in the state of Georgia, people 18 and older, 79% describe themselves as Christian. That is almost 80% of our entire state. Track, me, track with me with the numbers for just a second. We'll just round it up a percent to 80. So out of the 10 people that you're around at the grocery store, at work, in your neighborhood, 8 out of 10 describe themselves as someone who follows Christ. Now, those numbers are only beaten by three other states in all of our great nation. Tennessee, which is a neck and neck tie, might I add, with Georgia. Number two is Mississippi. And number one is the one and only Alabama. <laughs> now, uh, some of you are getting excited about that, okay? Here's what I find incredible about these numbers. Because numbers represent people and they represent stories. So that's the interesting thing about data like this. Uh, in and of itself, it's meaningless and useless. Unless you take a step back from it and you try to understand, okay, in the national or global context of faith, if 80% of our, of our state is self-described as Christian, shouldn't we therefore also begin seeing a shift in Christianity, in the culture in which we live, that we would begin to see shifts in a massive manner. Because after all, if we are pursuing the Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, Jesus had a way of rewriting the script everywhere he went. And so when I see that the state that I live in is overwhelmingly Christian and yet is also dealing with poverty, 
on a level that is absolutely nearly untouched by any other state, percentage-wise. 15% of Georgians are below the poverty line, one of the highest numbers in the entire country. Now, we can get into policy, and you can get into what side. I don't care who you voted for. I'm, I care this morning about the posture of our hearts. It tells me that something's not clicking. What are we, what are we missing where both of these dichotomies exist in the same place? How is it that depression and suicide rates are higher here than the national average? Because last time I checked, if a state that is self-described in a city that is 8 out of 10, 80% identified as Christian, I would think that those numbers are shifting. Jesus said something really interesting when he was talking about the Lord's Prayer. He said that he, he, he was talking to his disciples and he said, pray uh, that the Lord's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know it, the Lord's Prayer. And so my question for you this morning is this. It's not even necessarily a question as much as a proposed tension. I love where I live. I love that God has called my wife and I, our family, to be right here. And I also can't help but wonder, Ask God, am I pursuing his will in such a way that I'm bringing a little bit of heaven down to earth? And the question I have for you is, are you experiencing God's will in your life in a way that it feels a little bit like heaven on earth? I'm not saying everything should be right. But I am saying that if the vast majority of people who are self-described as Christians aren't experiencing God's peace in a meaningful, life-changing way, it tells me that there is a disconnect with professing faith and actually living it. You guys with me this morning? We're going to break into it this morning with a message called Destined But Dead. Acts chapter 20. I've got a few props I'm going to be using. If you know me, I don't do props very much. Well, we're going to work it today. We're going to make this happen. Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 9. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. This is Paul, by the way, the greatest apostle of all the apostles, writing about his missionary journeys. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. They're in the city of Troas. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. Like a true pastor right there. I got him for a few minutes. He's going to preach to him. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. It 
someone finds this story funny. So there's a young man named Eutychus. He's in the right place at the right time, and he still ends up dead. How is this possible? Think about it for a moment. Uh, I love to listen to other people preach. I love uh, T.D. Jakes. I love Tony Evans. I love Matt Chandler. I love Beth Moore. The list goes on and on. I love it. If I knew one of them was coming, I would be announcing it on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I'd be promoting it. We would have a video camera up. Even though we don't video services, we'd figure out a way. We'd video services. I would be sure to tell you, and you would be sure to tell your everybody. Because after all, they're, a, they're the celebrity pastor. They're amazing. Now imagine Paul. Because if you think those people are a big deal, word was out on the street that when Paul preached, miracles happened. So much so that while Paul is preaching, people are sneaking to his little workstation and stealing his handkerchief and putting it on sick people and dead people, and they're getting healed and being made well. Crazy things happen around Paul. And there's revival taking place in these different cities where he's going and he's preaching and he's starting churches and people are getting saved and radical miracles are taking place. So when we say that Paul showed up at Troas and was having a little meeting, you need to understand the context would have been filled with expectation. It's Paul. And my man Eutychus got invited to the party. He's a young guy. He's on the inside, though, and he is at the right place, and he is there at the right time. And this is what I want to talk about this morning. Eutychus, his name means fortuned one, destined one. Somehow his parents gave birth to a child. They looked at him and said, God's got great plans for this guy. Let's call him, oh, I don't know. Destiny. Let's call him fortunate one. Let's call him Eutychus. Perfect. Because God had a great destiny for him. And yet here he is. Right place, right time. And the destined one ends up dead. And if there's ever a story that to me fits Bible Belt culture, it's young people in particular, who are in the right place, they're in the right time, they're in the worship setting, they're in the church service, they're in the youth group. And you know this yourself because some of you wandered away and have miraculously been brought back. But, but there's this tension of this faith becoming yours. But if you never have a moment where it becomes your faith, then you're around all the right things, you're all around all the right people, but you can still end up dead on the inside. Even though you're in church, you're in youth group, you're in your Yopro group, you're in a life group, you're doing all the things, and yet you still end up dead. How does this happen? And yet it does happen. How? Adam and Eve walked with God, and yet they disobeyed. 
You know what they experienced? Eventually, death, which they never would have experienced if they hadn't sinned. They were walking with God. You don't have a better right place, right, right time than walking with God in a garden. Moses led the Israelites. I mean, for goodness sakes, he led them through the Red Sea. And yet they wandered in the desert for 40 years to their death. How is it possible to be around these amazing things yet still die? Judas was in Jesus' Bible study. He was one of the 12. We don't think about this. And if you ever want to feel really great about yourself, Jesus had a Bible study with 12 guys, and 11 of them made it. One of them sat with Jesus and was like, mm, I don't think so. No, nope, I don't think so. Don't ever check. If you ever end up preaching and you think, I didn't do a great job, guess what? The best anointing, the best anointed worship, the best anointing preaching, it will never do what the Holy Spirit needs to do inside someone. I don't care how anointed a communicator is. I don't care how amazing the band is. I don't care about all those elements. I want them to be anointed. I want them to be moving and operating in the presence of God. But that in and of itself is not enough to change someone from the inside out. They have to have a moment where Jesus Christ wrecks them from the inside out. So what does that mean? How does this make sense for our man, Eutychus? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to bring out my first prop. Can I bring my chair out, please? Thank you in advance. Thank you so much. You are incredible this morning. I mean, could, you could just, thank you, yeah. Just kind of get it set up for me there. Thank you. Thank you, Scott. I mean, if you have an ottoman or something like that, it would be great. Yeah. Um, maybe if there's something back there, a little chair. Thank you. Um, Eutychus did what many people do. You know what he did? He came into the room, and he found himself a seat. And he found that seat in the window. The window seat is a, oh, thank you. It's incredible. It's the seat of relaxation, isn't it? See, that's where the nice, cool little breeze would come in, and you'd be so comfortable. See, if you were really there, not just as a spectator, but a participator, participators have a pattern of doing something. They, they're the people who are on the edge of their seat, are they not? They're the ones who have the notebook and the pen, and they're taking notes. Our, our technology that we have, our phones and our iPads have made us very lazy. And so the days of having a pen and being on the edge of your seat and taking notes, for many of us, we don't even do that anymore. We're not engaging. We just simply sit, and we find the most comfortable seat, the seat where things just feel, oh, so relaxing, and I've got my little sweet tea right here. You know, chairs like this are made for your driveway. They're made for the baseball game where you're just enjoying the Little League game or you're out in your driveway and the kids are playing and you're sipping on your lemonade and you're just, ah, you're just relaxing. You're not really participating. You're spectating. 
And when we spectate in church or in the body of Christ, I won't even use that word for just a moment. The body of Christ, the assembly, that should be vibrant, that should be challenging. If we're just spectating, all the things that God is doing will never get on the inside of you. Because you're just watching. You're not getting in the game. So how do we end up in the chair? I'm so glad you asked that. By the way, this is an amazing way to preach. Um, I won't be in it for too much longer. So here's what happens. I, 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 you know, I started out really excited, and I'm excited about my church. And, you know, I, I, I'm going along, and I'm existing in it, and I'm, maybe I'm serving, or I'm doing, or I'm, I'm going to the prayer meeting. But then I get my feelings hurt. And so what happens when I get my feelings hurt is, you know what? begin to look at things different. I'm going to move from being somebody who's engaged to somebody who's, you know, kind of watching from a distance. The other kind of thing that happens is sometimes we don't understand, you know, what's, what's authority, right? Maybe this young guy, Eutychus, who knows, maybe he had an issue. Maybe he had an issue with Paul, right? When I used to, when I grew up going to church, one of the things that was a really great thing preached and taught was this idea of spiritual authority, that there are people that, are, that God has put in place to speak and encourage and, yes, challenge you. At some times, though, especially, might I add, the younger we are and the younger generation, with each subsequent generation, authority is less and less and less of a thing that we value. And so now, all of a sudden, we're supposed to understand immediately how church authority exists. It can be very difficult and a jarring adjustment. And so we just kind of sit by the window. It's a little more comfortable over here. It's a little more safe over here. All of a sudden... What you don't realize is that you fell asleep and you fell right out the window. That's tracking with me. Being a spectator versus a participator will put you in the window seat. Colossians 3.3 says that for you have died. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossians. You've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with God which means it requires a pursuit. You cannot be pursuing what God has for you sitting in a seat. You simply cannot do it. Uh, the, the person who is, who is proactively seeking, you know, they're, they're on the edge of their seat. They're leaning forward. They're taking notes, so to speak. It's the person who's asking questions. It's the one who's, who's calling to, to get the coffee, to get the appointment, to set the thing up. Because they're hungry. They're in pursuit. Seek first the kingdom, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you will be filled. If you're just kicking it, you won't be satisfied. You won't be full, and you won't really find the kingdom. You guys with me? The second thing that, that, that puts you and I in the window seat is the deception of sin. I'm just going to put all my props over here. See, when you're deceived, you've been tricked. Deception's a nasty thing. You get tricked 
into thinking that what you're doing is the right course of action, but in fact, it's not. So Hebrews 3.13 says that you must warn each other. Paul writing again, while it is still today. Well, what is today? Today is today. While it is still today. So that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Multiple times in his letter, Paul writes, wake up, O sleeper. Wake up. Why? Because people are in the window and they're falling asleep. But how do you fall asleep? Well, obviously, you pick that comfy seat and you stop engaging and you stop participating and you simply spectate. But the other thing that happens is we can become deceived by sin. And when you purposefully and intentionally defy what God has said is right and what God has said is wrong, and you push through time and time and time again, what you know is right, eventually, God will give you what your heart desires more than anything else. That thing. And you'll love it, and it will become your precious. And you become deceived by it. And you literally start to fall asleep spiritually on the inside. I can do this, and it won't hurt me. I mean, I'm not experiencing any consequences, so why is it that big of a deal? Can I, can I bring my next prop out? Thank you. Oh, that looks so nice. This looks so nice. And there's also, I believe, a pillow as well. Well, I, you're going to give me the, okay, you want to put it around like it's a cape. Oh, excellent. Keeps me so nice and warm. I'll just wait for that pillow because, I mean, after all, sin is like taking a big old fat spiritual nap. You can just put it on the ground right here. Oh, it's amazing. Perfect placement. And uh, I'll take it from this side. It looks, you know, this is a little more comfortable this way. But here's, but here's how sin works. You know, I'm sitting here, and I know this probably isn't right, but it feels good. It feels great. Blanket feels nice and warm. I feel good on the inside. And I was taught what's right, but I haven't experienced any consequences of sleeping with my boyfriend yet. So why is it a big deal? Why is that? Why? Why? What's the issue? Pornography hasn't really done anything to me yet. It's just me. It's just my thing. Oh, this pillow feels fantastic. And the deception of sin begins to settle in, and you just get more and more comfortable like it's a nap on the couch, and you get, you get used to it. It becomes your pet sin. It becomes the dog that comes and snuggles up with you on the couch during nap time because, after all, it's not that big of a deal to defy the one and only holy God. It's not that big a deal. And the more often you do it, the less of a big deal it becomes. Until you're just having a nice oh, Sunday nap. Just like this. How do you think pastors and preachers of the gospel, how is it possible that they stand on a stage and preach and yet are living a complete double life? How is it possible? How is it possible to be doing all the right things and be in all the right places and yet be 
so deeply in sin, it's because you've fallen asleep. It's because you've pushed through the barriers that God has set in place and you are taking a nap, spiritually speaking, and the Holy Spirit that's trying to get your attention, you don't hear anymore. God hasn't changed. And then we say, God, where'd you go? God didn't go anywhere. Where did you go? Climbed onto the couch and pulled the covers on up. You went to sleep. I've done that. What sin are you allowing to persist in your life? Think about it for a second. What's persisting in your life that you know isn't right? It's not the spirit of God at work inside of you. It's not Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's not you dying to yourself. What's at work that's not of God in your life that you need to turn from, that you need to let go of? We talked about defiant sin, but there are other things that happen in your life. Bitterness. You have a moment, right? This was me. I got hurt. I got hurt in church. And instead of, of, of getting right with God, instead of forgiving, instead of getting my, my soul clean or having the conversation that I needed to, I became bitter. And now I'm the one who's actually in sin. Holding on to an offense, and the bitterness then turned to judgment and suspicion. And a hardness of heart, Hebrews tells us. The heart became hard. And it took someone taking a nice spiritual jackhammer to help break up the concrete again. Number three. First, we have spectating versus participating. Number one, it's going to get you in a window seat real fast. The deception of sin and defying what God has said is right and wrong will have you in a window seat real fast. Number two. And then number three, something that might be a little difficult to understand is there oftentimes is very little revelation of lordship. I didn't hear this word growing up in church. It wasn't until I was in college that I ever heard the word lordship, this idea that Jesus isn't just my savior, but that he is also my lord. That Jesus is my boss, that he calls the shots. Acts 2.36 says that, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you've crucified, both Lord and Messiah. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 36. Jesus has made this Lord whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Messiah is another word for Savior. Meaning he is both the one who saves you, but he is also the one that you bow your knee to and follow because he is your Lord. I listened to a podcast recently that was so helpful in, in, in even explaining this because we live in a democratic society. 
And so we're trying to understand kingdom principles in a democratic society. And it's not easy for us as Americans to understand this. That Jesus is our Lord. He is the king of this kingdom. And more often than not, we want the kingdom without the king. But Jesus is Lord. He calls the shots. I have four kids and try to keep sane on most days. When my oldest was, well, he still likes to do this. He loves to be in charge. He is the oldest child. And he fulfills it as his duty, right? He loves to be the guy that's in charge, as many firstborns do. And I can't remember which of the younger siblings was in trouble. Somebody got in trouble in our house. Either they were being disrespectful or they were, they were doing something they shouldn't be doing. And, and Graham took it upon himself to set things right. He was going to be dad in this situation. And so I had to end up coming and I, and I had to, you know, talk to the one who was wrong. And then I actually had to talk to Graham because he was overstepping his role in this situation. He's the big brother, but he's not dad. And so, you know, I leaned down and we talked to him. I said, son... Okay, who's, who's the boss here? Is it you or is it dad? Okay, it's dad. That's right. I've got it. It's under control. I'm going to take care of it. Before I got three steps away, he said, but I am the little boy boss. Right? I'm the little boy boss. Meaning, in church... We have the same attitude where it's like, Jesus is my Lord, but I'm the little boy Lord. I'm the little king. God is my king, but I'm still the little king. But you're not. Neither am I. And nor are any of my children. We're not the little king. You're not the little person. You're not, you're not anything. And that sounds like I'm minimizing your place. I'm only trying to help you understand it in light of a perfect and holy God. He is fully king and we are fully not. He is fully Lord and we are fully not. And when you understand that Jesus is your Lord, there is a moment where you just simply bow your knee. And when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you do it. And when it's time to lay something down, you lay it down. And when God convicts you of sin, you turn from it. Because that's when you do when you have a Lord that is not yourself. You turn and you walk towards God and you leave whatever it is behind that needs to be left behind. When you have a revelation of Lordship, Those three things, church, will have you rocking the comfortable seat by the window without even knowing it. You fell right out. You're broken in the street. So what do we do about it? Number one, we repent. We turn. If there's something that's not of God, you know what we do? The same thing you do every time. You turn away from it. You ask for forgiveness. You get your soul clean before a perfect and holy God. 
there's something else that I want to encourage us with because uh, sometimes, especially here in the Bible Belt, we, we also miss this. Look what Paul did in Acts 20, verse 10, as we begin to close. It says that Paul went down. This kid fell out the window. Middle of him preaching. I mean, talk about ruining the service. Guy falls out and dies in the middle of it. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. All the power of God doesn't scare the enemy until it leaves the church and gets out in the street and begins to affect culture. I'm going to say this one more time because oftentimes what happens is, is the church folks who, who are living right see someone who's not. And rather than actually engaging and having uh, drawing people into a deeper, abiding relationship with Jesus, loving, speaking truth, but loving, 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 and loving some more, we oftentimes stay in our stuffy little church spaces and we kind of peer out through the window and we say, man, that was really unfortunate. And what Paul does is he leaves the dang meeting, walks down the stairs, goes out into the street and he embraces the brokenness of this young man and the power of Jesus Christ flows through him and brings that which is dead back to life. And that is the heart of the gospel. If you want to get engaged in God's kingdom, if you want God to use you, if you want to see things that are dead come back to life, take what God's given you and take it outside the church and begin to give it away to people who are in pain and who are hurting and who need it. Oftentimes, especially in our state, there are people who grew up going to church. There are people who know the Bible about as well as you do, maybe even better. And yet somehow along the way, they got in one of those traps and fell out the window. They probably didn't want to go there. They probably weren't doing it with intent, but somehow they got stuck because that's what happens when you get deceived and that's what happens when you fall asleep and your heart begins to get hard. And so what do you do? Go out into the street. Give them everything you got. I look at our church. I pray for our church. I know there are people in every camp. Some of you are sitting here, and I promise you, you're, 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 you're probably sitting in the window seat right now. My hope is that you're hearing this and you're thinking to yourself, okay, I need to get into a new seat here. Good. Turn away from that which doesn't honor God and run after him with new spiritual vigor. And if you need help with it, get in a life group. If you need help with it, talk to someone after church. If you need help with it, have the courage to say it. Open your mouth and receive prayer and ministry directly following service. And if that's not you this morning, you're the, you're the one sitting in the service and you're watching this happen. Run down the stairs. 
and throw your life into someone else's life. Give it away. Risk it. Trust God and let him use you with someone else. The power of God doesn't scare the enemy until it leaves the church and it affects culture. It should be changing our businesses and changing our communities and changing our neighborhoods and changing your family. It should be changing your football team. It should be changing your athletic team, your school, your campus. It should be changing politics and the entertainment industry. Jesus changes everything. Not just a little something. Changes it all. If you let him do it. Stand to your feet. Father, we thank you this morning that you are a God who cares about the details of our life. Lord, and where we are right now is not where you are leaving us, but you're at work, Holy Spirit. And I pray right now that you'd bring a holy discomfort, even now in this moment, God, that we would not be relaxed in our faith or just somehow getting lazy or comfortable, that we would somehow re truly engage with you, God, and be led by you. That we'd continue growing. And God, I pray, even now, Lord, for those of us looking to be fruitful or looking to be effective, God, that you would open doors. God, for us to be able to walk into the street with our faith and let the gospel go forth and change everything, to change our families and our neighborhoods and our communities. God, we love you. We worship you this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Church, we're wrapping right now, and I want to just invite you, if you need prayer for any reason, whether you're in high school, middle school, college, or none of the above, I invite you to come forward after service and you can receive prayer and ministry for anything that you might have. We love you, and our desire is to see you grow and become more like Jesus in 2019. See you next week as we open up a new series on the Holy Spirit. See you next week.